with enticing words. For though I be absent in flesh, yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Let's pray, and we'll go on. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for opportunity that we have, and help us, as the children were singing, were singing a minute ago about counting their, our blessings, that we would continue to do so, and to be reminded of the simple truth of that song. Help us to be people that give thanks, and if we can't, help us to become people that can. And we thank you and praise you for the opportunity to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, at harvest time, <clears throat> that's the fall, that's when you see Thanksgiving. No, no matter what country, I think almost every country that has a Thanksgiving holiday, it's going to be at the harvest time. And uh, we focus on the fruit, and we give thanks for the fruits. That's the, the where it really kind of comes from, the idea of the bountiful harvest and giving thanks for the fruit. But I'm going to ask you a question. As we do talk about the fruits and about counting our blessings and about the fruits that we are blessed with. Let me ask you a question. What about the root? You know, without the root, there, are, there isn't going to be any fruit. And so what about the root? And uh, where is the root at? And how important is the root? Without root, there is no fruit. And so I, I have some questions for all of us today to ask. And uh, we'll go through these and think about these as we look at these verses that I just read. It says in verse 5, at the end, it says, your faith in Christ your faith in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? In Romans chapter number 3 and verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us, and that means we are all sinners, and everybody in here who's honest knows that's the truth. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. So not only are we all sinners, but the wages for sinning is death. And if you do a little survey, you'll find out that 10 out of 10 people die because 10 out of 10 people are sinners. We're all sinners. Therefore, we all have death coming. The wages of sin is death. But that's not the end of that verse. And I'm glad that's not all it says. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the salvation that we need. And that is a gift. You know, we're coming into the season where gifts are given if it's truly a gift, there's no strings attached. If it's truly a gift, it is not something that we kind of do sometimes with our children and say, "Oh, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that Christmas present away." Now you you've just made a bargain. You've just you've just made an in- incentive, and you've you've turned it into a merit system and a, and an earning. But if it's a gift, there are no strings attached, and the Bible calls salvation a gift. There's nothing you do to earn a gift, technically speaking. That's why the thief on the cross could say to Jesus, Lord, remember me. And Jesus could say, today you'll be with me in paradise, which was truly a gift because the thief could not possibly have done some good work to earn it, but he was given it. So we see here in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, 
thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever, in verse 13 it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You must have faith, and it must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Having faith is not enough. Everybody has faith in something. The truth is we all have faith in something. But what, when your faith is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ, when that is your salvation faith, when that is what you are resting on, is your faith in Christ Jesus. Some, we heard the letter read from Mexico, have placed their faith in a church system. In that case, it would be the Catholic church system. And as he said, it's, it is difficult for a Catholic to get baptized. Why? Because they were baptized as babies. And to then be baptized as an adult is to say that first one was not baptism. As we've seen even here in recent months, people who've declared that as well. Listen, we all are taught to place our faith in something, but the word of God teaches us it must be in him and him alone. <clears throat> Nobody comes to the Father but by the Lord Jesus Christ. It must be in him and him alone. So is your root in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you rooted in him? And so even more plainly, as it says in verse 6 of Colossians 2, verse 6, it says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Have you? See, this was written to the Colossians. The, the Christians in Colossae, they had a church. And so the book was called Colossians because it was written to the Christians who were meeting in Colossae. And this book was written to believers, and that's why it says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. I'm not trying to pick on Catholicism today, but this is another illustration that just popped in my head. I remember talking to a lady years ago about receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. See, John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You know, I mentioned how it's a gift and how that, it must be received, and I've got this little book done, and I've given several of these copies out, but <clears throat> in fact, the back of the book has a picture of a gift on it. If I were to use this book like a gift, and I were to say, hey, Gary, I'd like to give this to you. You know what Gary has to do? He has to receive it. If Gary stands there and looks at me and sticks his tongue out, he didn't receive it. Even if I paid for it, and even if I wrote Gary's name on it, if Gary doesn't receive it, it's not Gary's. If he walks out of this building without receiving this book, he walks out of this building without owning this book. And if you walk out of a church service or if you walk away from a presentation of the gospel without receiving Christ, you don't have Christ. Now, please do not allow your pride to say, oh, but if I get saved, everyone will know I wasn't saved. You know what all of us, most of us in here who are saved, you know what we're going to do? Whoopee! They did what we did. They got saved. They received the gift of eternal life. We're not going to be upset about that or even, look, the rest of us. See, what salvation is and what the gospel is, is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. That's all we're doing. We're telling people where to find the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth. See, I believe with all my heart that Satan looked at the gospel and how simple it was and said, I've got to make that complicated. I've got to make the focus on something else or someone else than Jesus. And so people 
people are naturally wanting to be religious. They, they have a desire to, to, to please God somehow. And so they, they focus on obeying the rules and the sacraments or they focus on this or that. And I was talking to this lady, Mrs. Gallagher, years ago, and I said, Mrs. Gallagher, have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Savior? She said, I receive him every week. I said, what do you mean? She said, every week they, he, he prays over the, the wafer and then I receive him. She was serious. That, that's a confusion. Receiving the Lord Jesus Christ is not pretending that he turned into a wafer and eating him. Receiving the Lord Jesus Christ is spiritually recognizing that I need him to be my savior and I need him to be my gift and I need to receive that gift that has been presented. So have you received Christ Jesus, the Lord? A lot of times people will say, well, well I've been baptized. That's also a confusion. That, that isn't receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just another religious thing. that people, And there's certainly a good thing about baptism after the reception of the Lord Jesus Christ comes first. This is why babies can't be baptized or shouldn't be because they didn't have an opportunity to receive and believe. So when when we look at these passages and we say, in Christ, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, I look at you today and say, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior for yourself? This is not something that your mom and dad can do for you. If your mom or your dad received Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's good for them. But you don't get it for yourself unless you receive it. This is why even my children, children raised in a pastor's home, still have to personally receive Jesus Christ individually, one at a time. It's not something I can will upon them. As much as we want them to, we have to let them make that decision. It has to be a freedom of choice. I'm thankful that individually each one of them made that decision and individually each one of them served the Lord on their own without any manipulation. But you know what? There are people that go to church and they think they are Christian because they go to church. Well, I think Christians go to church. I do. I go. But like somebody said, Walking into a church building doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into a pizza hut makes you a pizza. That's not how you're a Christian. You must receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. As I said before, the thief on the cross hung there dying and received Jesus as his Savior while he was on that cross. He never joined a church. He never got baptized. He never did anything. But he did the one thing he needed to do. He received the gift of salvation. Have you? Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1 through uh, 6, it's just six short verses, but Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Verse 3 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Remember, we're talking about being rooted. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You go over into Wyoming, you can drive in the Weston County and Niobrara County, and you can just see nothing but bare brown. 
And then all of a sudden, there'll be this little thread of green. And you get closer, and it's, it's cottonwood trees, and they're all green, or maybe some sage. And it's, 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 it's like a little thread of green running through the pasture and through the acreage. And without getting there, you know what's there. Water. There's Cheyenne River sometimes. And when Cheyenne River is actually running, there's some green around it. And verse 3 of Psalm 1 says, He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's the Christian. See, the Christian might be surrounded by barren land, but the Christian's supposed to be planted by the rivers of water, and there's just something different there. There's something life-giving there. The, the last three verses say, but the ungodly are not so. The ungodly are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. The Lord knows the righteous, but the ungodly he doesn't know. They'll not stand in the congregation. You say, Pastor, are you saying that I, I'm ungodly? Look, ungodly doesn't mean you're the most wicked person you can think of. The word un just simply means this, not. And the only reason why a Christian can be considered godly is because of the righteousness that Jesus gives us in salvation. See, I'm not, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I'm a saved, born-again sinner who sins less and less thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation. But when you're not saved, you are considered ungodly. Which one are you? Are you planted or are you ungodly? Maybe someone will say, but I've had bad experiences with religion. You know what I think? I think just about all of us have had some bad experiences with religion. And I realize that some of us have had a lot worse experiences than others when it comes to religion. But you know what I know? I know this for sure. I know that back there somewhere there's a devil saying, I don't care what your excuse is as long as you don't turn to God. I don't care what your excuse is. You keep using it because it it's not a good enough one to go to hell for. And certainly Satan has messed with religion and messed with churches and messed with the gospel. But I just want to present to you there still is the truth. No matter all the falsehoods and all the hypocrisies out there, there still is the truth. And we will stand and answer for truth one day. So I encourage you today to understand, do you have the root? In Matthew 13, it talks about the seed that fell upon the stony ground. And it didn't have any root. It it it, it sprung up. It, it, it immediately gave a little bit of a of life signs, but it never took root and it withered away. Just because you're here today and just because you're listening doesn't mean you've taken root yet. It's not until the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior and you receive Him by faith. You say, But 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 I just it's listen, <clears throat> a lot of people won't receive a gift because of pride. There's a lot of people that will deny a gift simply out of pride. I don't need a gift. Well, in this case, you do. That's why Jesus said you must become as a child. Children aren't near as proud as adults. So, first of all, are you rooted in Christ? Secondly, 
if you are rooted in him, back in Colossians chapter 2, it says in verse 6 and 7, it says, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him. So if you are rooted, if you are truly saved, then are you walking in him? The Bible tells us we walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith is different than walking by our carnal eyes. Walking by faith means that when it's bad, we still keep doing the same thing. Walking by faith means we march to the beat of a different drum. We don't do what everybody else is doing because we're following someone else. We're following him. And we're following the book he's given us to read, the Holy Spirit to guide us, and we are walking by faith. First John five, or excuse me, first John chapter one, verse five talks about if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The Bible tells us that when we are not right with him, we can't walk with him. But when we walk with him, It's because we have been made right. And the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes us clean and right before him. So you can't walk with the Lord until you know him, until he knows you and you've been born again, until you've been cleaned by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb as we sang about today. Are you walking with him? I was teaching about prayer in Sunday school this morning. And what I love about prayer is it's better than the best cell service you've got. You don't need a signal from a tower. You don't even need to have something in your ear or in your pocket or on your watch. You just need the Holy Spirit inside and you can walk with him and talk with him no matter where you are. And that's why the Bible says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And that's why it says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We can and we ought to, and hopefully there are many Christians in here that are walking with the Lord every day. Walking with God is not a Sunday event. It's a 24-7 event. And if you are saved, it's the expectation that you continue walking with him. If I walk with the Lord, there's just a whole lot of temptations that's not going to happen. Why? Because I'm with him. Right? I'm not going to go under that. If I'm walking with the Lord, and a sheep with a shepherd, look, all I, all I know is, is that sheep, are really smart if they stay close to the shepherd. But we know sheep don't. There's a lot of dumb sheep out there. But when a sheep realizes, hey, I need to follow my shepherd, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. We walk with him as a sheep and shepherd relationship. People have this, and I think Satan's behind it too, they have this idea that Jesus is some kind of a slave driver. I read years ago about a man who was a touring, he was a tour guide, and he was giving a tour to people in the Middle East, and he was saying, here's what you'll notice about Middle Eastern shepherds. They always are walking, and the sheep are following. He no more than said that, than over the hill came a whole flock of sheep, and they were just going helter-skelter, and behind was a man yelling at them and just driving them. And the, the tourist said, oh, really? What about that? And the tour guide was puzzled he went over and asked the shepherd a few questions he came back and he said he's not a shepherd he just bought those sheep and he's driving them to market see a shepherd doesn't have to drive it after a little while the sheep say you know what he's the one that knows what's going on 
He's the one that knows the way. I love the song in our hymnal. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness, and all I have to do is follow. Are you walking with him? Or are you smarter than him? So many smart, quote-unquote, sheep doing it their way. If you're rooted in him, you'll learn to walk in him. And not only that, but it says in verse 7, rooted and built up in him. What I love about the Lord is he builds me. In Matthew chapter number 7, there is a familiar story. If you've ever gone to Sunday school, you've probably heard this. Matthew chapter number 7, it's the wise man and the foolish man. And there's even a song about the wise man and the foolish man. And what Matthew chapter 7, towards the very end of the chapter, this is what Jesus gave concerning that passage. It says in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Jesus is the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. That's the believer. He's our foundation. And upon that foundation, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that he begins to build our lives. Are you built on him? Verse 26 says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. If I were to draw this picture in a, this story, this passage into a picture, I would draw a simple modest house on a rock. And then I would draw a three-story mansion on the sand. You know why I would do it that way? Because that's the way most people are. Most people concentrate so much on this life and the luxuries and the wants of this life and they never make sure the one most important thing is that they're founded on the rock. Several years ago, and you hear this every so often, there was a summer where there was a lot of rain out in the West Coast. And all of a sudden, a home just slid off of where it was out down into the ocean or almost down to the bottom. Why? I mean, we're talking about homes with a beautiful view. We're talking about homes worth millions of dollars the day before. But it wasn't founded as solid as it should have been. You see, when you're saved and you're rooted, you're built and you are being built upon him and that is eternal and cannot change. Which is smarter, three stories without a foundation or simplicity on the rock? Then, are you established in the faith? Back in Colossians 2, it says, built in in him and established in the faith. Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, verse 16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Did you hear that quote that the missionary gave in his letter? 
25 cents and God. Down to our last 25 cents and God. But you know what? That's enough. And if you know the story of Hudson Taylor, it was enough. You know, I don't like, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to be down to my last 25 cents. I'm just telling you right now. I don't want to be down to my last. But you know what? Sometimes God has allowed me to get down to my last 25 cents. <laughs> I remember one time a man, a man called. We lived nine miles from town over in Wyoming. And he called and he gave me this sob story of how he needed uh, some gas money or whatever it might be. I said, sir, I literally have $9 and some change in my checkbook. He said, well, I really need it. And, and, he, and I finally said, you know, the nine bucks isn't doing me any good. Fine. And so I said, will you meet me down at the highway? And so he drove out and met me at the highway. And I, I think I gave him eight, just in case I was off by a dollar. And I gave him my last dollars. A few months later, I was in Rapid City, and I went into the Liberty Baptist Church there, and I walked in, and the same guy was in the foyer giving the same sob story to them. Here's why I want to say, I've been down to my last dollar, but I've never been begging. Because I have God. He's been there. I've never gone without. Can you tell? I've never gone without. I've never not had what I needed. Maybe not all the wants, but the needs have always been met. What I want to say to you folks is, is that when you are in him and you're learning to walk with him you are established I didn't say rich but you are established and when trials come and when the rain comes it's to prove something it's to prove that the rock is there and when the trials come and the real trouble starts to come your three stories aren't as important as the rock Established in the faith. And back in Colossians chapter 2 again in verse 7, not only that, it says, as ye have been taught, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught. I have a question for you. Are you going to church too much? Can you? Are you opening up the Bible and getting taught too much? Where do you learn the Bible at? Where do you learn God's truths and how to have faith and be steadfast and built in his Bible? You can read it at home, and certainly you should. But when someone else opens it and teaches it, sometimes we get more out of it than we would have gotten on our own. The point is, though, have you been taught? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that the Lord has given his churches evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saint, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so that we can all become built together and grow together as one body. And he says there in Colossians, he says, you just keep plodding away and getting stronger and more deeper in your root system as you have been taught. And what I've noticed about Satan is if he's lost round one, what is round one? 
you got saved. He lost round one. So round two is, I'm going to keep them from getting taught. I'm going to keep them from growing and maturing and learning. And then what really saddens me is to see people who are saved not making much different of a choice than the unsaved when it comes to major decisions of life. When it comes to faith that is impressive and influential in the neighborhood, are you being taught? Is God teaching you and are you studying to be a, a good workman, a good approved person that God would have you to be? If you're rooted in him, then are you these things? Now, this whole thing, this whole message came because of the last phrase. Rooted and built up in him, verse 7, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Abounding. Abounding means it's just it's just overflowing. It, it's, it's just spilling out. You, you've got more than you can hold. It's just abounding. I don't know. Maybe someone's like, I sure hope we can get through this season of count your blessings. I'm so tired of counting blessings. I hope not. It's not supposed to just be a season or a holiday. It says abounding. That, that doesn't, in fact, when this was written, there was no Thanksgiving holiday. The idea was just all the time. In Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews 13 is two verses there that are interesting. Verse number 15 and 16 of Hebrews chapter 13, it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. If you were to go to Habakkuk, and we won't go there, but Habakkuk, the last verses in Habakkuk, chapter 3, the very last verses, he says, although the fig tree won't blossom, and there's no fruits, and there's no harvest, and there's no plenty, and everything's falling apart, and although everything's going wrong, yet will I praise him. I will rejoice in God. Remember years ago at the Walmart in Rapid City, back when there was only one, and uh, there was a lady, her name is Sharon Holder. She is a, a black lady. She's married to a preacher, and uh, she used to live in Rapid, and she was coming out of the store of Walmart, and she had her purse slung over her shoulder, and she had her card, and she was headed towards her car. And out in the parking lot, someone ran up beside her, grabbed her purse and yanked it off of her shoulder, just about yanked her shoulder out of joint, and then took off running down the parking lot. Mrs. Holder yelled, God still loves you! God still loves you! God still loves you! I said, why? Well, years ago when she was 12, she lived in Los Angeles, and she had a, she had a drunk, a drunk father and, and a mother that fought with him and they were having a fight and a big squabble, and it was, it was more than she could handle, and she did a dumb thing. Late at night, she just walked out of the house and just started walking down the street, just mad, just didn't want to be in the house. And walking down the street in the middle of the night in Los Angeles, some car pulled up, and some man said, Get in, honey. Scared her after death, and she got in the car. 
And she realized she shouldn't have done that. And she was absolutely terrified. What do I do now? And she started praying. Fortunately, she knew God. And she started praying, oh, God, help me get out of this. And she decided at this next intersection, she was just going to throw the door open and throw herself onto the street. And she did. And when she threw herself out of the car, of course, he stopped and he was going to go get her and throw her back in. But another car stopped on the other side and out came an off-duty police officer. And she was rescued. And he took her home. And she said to the Lord that night, God, if you'll get me out of this situation, I will praise you for the rest of my life. And that's why when someone yanked a purse off of her shoulder, she kept her promise. The God still loves you. God still loves you. Can you imagine the person who stole that purse with that ringing in their ears? Can you imagine how them, how can you enjoy what's in the purse knowing the person you stole that from has a stronger faith and doesn't even care? Whenever you call their residence, here's how she answers the phone. Praise the Lord, Holder's residence. Why? She's just keeping her promise. Is there any fruit from your lips? Here's what I know about humanity. It is much easier to say negative things about the boss and the job than to say something positive. It's much easier to complain about something than to say something positive. It's much easier to talk about how cold it is outside than to say how bright and sunny it is outside. It just is. It's our negativity. It's our human nature. Is there fruit from your lips or is it only on those few moments when something did go right? The other day my football team was losing. My football teams always lose. Can I tell you, I wasn't very happy with them and I was griping and complaining. But you know how trivial that is. How silly that is. Hey, you know what? Giving thanks is something that should come from the lips of believers. See, thanksgiving is really giving thanks. That's what it's supposed to be. And that's why it says in verse 16, not only giving thanks and praise from our lips, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. God would have us to communicate. What does that mean? That word communicate is not just with our mouth. That word communicate is with our billfold. That word communicate is with our means and our material blessings to communicate with someone else. To do good and to communicate with others, to offer help. Financial giving is thanksgiving. Did you know that? When God has blessed me, there is an expectation. The Bible teaches a tithe, a 10%. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And so I honor God with my tithe. I've just been doing that for since I was a kid, I've been doing that. And so by the time I was an adult, it was just a habit that I didn't even question. But I'm going to tell you right now, today, my wife and I do not, we do not give 10%. We give more. Because it says in Malachi, your tithes and your offerings. We heard that letter from the missionary. How does he get supported? By missions offerings. 
we have 45 missionaries that we support from gifts, not from the general fund budget, but from missions money that's designated and anything designated, all 100% of it goes straight to the missionary. Financial giving is Thanksgiving. I remember years ago hearing about a lady who came to church and she plopped down a larger sum than, than usual and, and someone asked her about that and she said, you know, everybody around here had major damage to the roof and I didn't. And I figured I would have spent way more than this to fix my roof and I want to thank God that I didn't have to. That's really what giving is. It's thanks giving. Trust me, when the IRS comes around, it isn't Thanksgiving. But when God wants me to give, he doesn't hold a gun to my head or threaten me with anything. It's just, thank you, God. I had a tooth a few weeks ago that was hurting, and the dentist said, you're looking at probably a year's worth of process here and mm, $4,000. I had other plans for $4,000. You know what? Someone asked me about my tooth the other day, and I said, I haven't been thinking about it because it hasn't been hurting. And the dentist last week said, you know, I think we better wait a month. It might not be as bad as we thought. Thanksgiving. Thank you, God. There's lots of things that we should stop and realize God would have us to give. And it's not just in the church offering plate. You might just be out and about and the Lord might lay upon your heart to do something for somebody. That's an offering. That's just a thanksgiving or as they say, pay it forward. But not only financial giving is thanksgiving, but there's some other kind of giving that's thanksgiving too. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. As you turn to Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, it says in verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then in Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone? In verse 23, Jesus tells this story in Matthew 18. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. We're talking millions of dollars. Verse 28, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have mercy, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. But he would not 
but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Should not Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespass. Did you know that forgiving is thanksgiving? You know why I say that? Because if you've been forgiven by God, you know what forgiveness is. If you are not forgiven by God, you don't understand what I'm talking about right now. And it's impossible for you to forgive. But those of us who have been forgiven by God in Christ have the ability to forgive others who, whether you like this or not, are guilty far less of a trespass to you than you were to God. My dad used to remind us of something, and uh, it's quite profound when you think about it. You better learn to get along with the others in the church. You better learn to get along with the others that are saved because we're all going to the same heaven. And I know the answer to that is, yeah, but then we'll all be perfect. And right. But you know what? When I compare my transgressions that, that, that deserve hell, I deserve hell for my transgressions. When I compare my transgressions that, that I deserve hell as payment for with whatever anyone else has done, it doesn't compare. And you might be harboring bitterness. You need to understand something. God expects us to be thanksgiving. But I can't forgive. I get it. As human nature, we can't forgive humanly. But that's where God steps in. And in his strength, he helps us to forgive the unforgivable. And I realize there are people in this room, you've been hurt deeply and maybe someone has done something very bad we would all be extremely sympathetic if we heard your story but it doesn't change what Jesus said there and why can I forgive people who have lied and have cheated and have hurt and destroyed and stolen why because I compare it to myself and I realize He didn't have to forgive me. And I owed a debt I couldn't pay. Forgiving is thanksgiving. And at the end of the day, I I must remember, even if I've never been guilty of doing that, I certainly am capable. And if it weren't for the grace of God, I probably would have. Besides, 
if you all could see a video of my entire life, you'd be shocked, and I'd be horrified. And it is a huge, huge blessing when you wake up one day and realize you have learned to forgive. I've noticed this about human nature too. In order to remember some things about people, you have to keep reminding yourself. In other words, if you'll just let it go, if you'll just let God have it, if you'll just forget it, if you'll just let God help you forget it. Someone said, an offense is like a wound. It's like, it's like if, I, if I all of a sudden walked by Jeff Pryor and he picked up a knife and stabbed me in the back. Oh! Oh! Not sure why. But I was able to forgive Jeff's just having a bad day. (laughs) Now, I'm sure the very next day, if I stepped in the shower and, oh, ow, oh, 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 I remember what he did. But you know, after a while, I stepped into the shower and didn't even feel it. You know why? Because it was a wound, and now it's just a faded scar. And literally, don't even remember where that scar came from. Been so long. That's God's blessing of forgiveness. But when you keep opening it back up, and you keep digging at it and opening it back up, no wonder you keep remembering it. No wonder it still hurts. It hasn't healed. And forgiving is when you say, God, I read where you had holes in your hands and my sin put them there. I read where they beat a crown of thorns in your head and my sin helped put it there. And yet while it was still bleeding, you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you forgive the, forgave the thief next to you, and you would have forgiven the other one if he'd asked. And, 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 and then when I think about what I know I've done and have even just imagined and thought and the anger and hatred or whatever it might be, and you've forgiven all that. Ooh. Lord, if you can forget me and my mess, I know you can help me forgive and forget others. You say, but but I can't forgive. What they did was wrong. I like what Glenn Jaspers used to say. He used to say, duh. Of course it was wrong. You don't forgive somebody for being right. But that's not the point. In Christ you can move past the offense and recognize either I've been guilty of the same thing in the past or I could be. It helped me to go to prison 
with my father as a chaplain. It helped me to meet young men my age and to walk out of there saying, why was I born into my family? And why did I get a dad and a mom? And they never had a dad and a mom living in the same house. And, and, and why? And I realized if it wasn't for the grace of God, that would be me behind bars. So lastly, I just ask this. We don't even have time to turn to it, but John 15, Jesus talks about the root and the fruit. Is there evident fruit from the unseen root? Are you abounding with thanksgiving? A bitter heart can't give thanks. But if you are a heart that's clean and you have learned forgiveness, are you abounding with thanksgiving? It doesn't have to be a holiday that lasts for a few days. It can be an every day. Are you abounding with thanksgiving? Praise God for the bad things because it drove me to Jesus Christ. And praise God that Jesus Christ was help, to help me to get over and forget and forgive the bad things. Let's bow our heads for a moment.